You're listening to Trinity Fremont's Sermon Podcast, where you can hear God's Word preached each and every week. Our purpose at Trinity is to raise up Christ followers in our families and in our communities. We pray that as you listen to this week's sermon, you'll be encouraged and equipped to live out your faith in all that you do. Has anyone yet figured out what we're talking about today? Baptism! Uh, If you know me a little bit or a lot of it, uh, I love to talk about baptism. Uh, This is my favorite thing to talk about. And the the reason I love to talk about baptism so much is because I had no idea what baptism really was. I, I did not understand the beauty of baptism, the gifts that God gives to us in our baptism. Right, that, that he gives to us forgiveness of sins, rescue from death and the devil, and eternal life to all who believe. Right? That is incredible gifts that God gives to us in our baptism. But as much as I would love to spend the entire talk, time talking about our baptism, and I kind of did that a little bit in Bible class today, uh, but today we're not going to focus so much on our baptism, because if you remember, if you've been following along with us during this series, we're, we're just now over halfway. We hit the halfway point kind of in between these weeks because it's a 10-week study and we're on week six. In the first five weeks, we were looking at these Old Testament stories that all pointed us to Jesus. And today we move into the New Testament again with these stories, these true stories, these narratives that point us to Jesus. And so today as we focus our time, we're actually going to be focusing more on on Jesus' baptism, but yet still what it means for us today. But before we do that, we have to get to Jesus, right? Last week, we, we left off with Daniel, who had just been delivered from the lion's den, right? And, and throughout this time, we've been making these 500-year jumps. We started with, with uh, uh, Adam and Eve in the garden, and, and, and we saw the promise of salvation that God gave to them right after they sinned, and then we made a couple thousand-year jump. Uh, to Abraham and Isaac. And we saw the the promise that that, that God gave to Abraham and Isaac, and we saw the need for a a substitute, a substitutionary lamb who would would take our place. And then we made a 500-year jump to Moses, and we we saw the need for God to pass over our sins and, and how Jesus paints the blood of himself on the doorposts of our lives then we made another 500-year jump to David and saw that, that Jesus is our ultimate champion. And last week, we made, a, we made another 500-year jump to Daniel and, and saw that Jesus is our ultimate deliverer, that he delivers us from death. And today, we take another 500-year jump from Daniel to Jesus. Right? Jesus, as he came into the world, he lived in a different world than Daniel did. There was a different culture, uh, a, a different kingdom at that point. Again, remember, we're making a 500-year jump. 400 of those years, it's really quick for us to jump from, because Malachi ends, and God is silent for 400 years. And then God speaks again. So it's really easy for us to flip one page, but for God's people, they waited for hundreds of years, and just think about that timing, right? Our country has been a country for about half of that, half of those 500 years, and think how different life is today than it was 250-some years ago, and then double that, right? Jesus is coming into a very different world than what we left 
uh, off with Daniel. But, but so shortly after Daniel was delivered from the lion's den, the, the Jews were allowed to, or the Israelites were allowed to go back to Jerusalem. And they began to rebuild the walls, rebuild the city, and rebuild the temple. Now, the temple wasn't as beautiful as King Solomon's temple, and some people mourned that fact, but it was still the place where God came to be amongst them. And so the place where they could go and celebrate, the place where they could go and worship their God. And if you want to read about those stories, especially Ezra and Nehemiah are the places to go to to hear about that. But then again, there's silence for 400 years. And in the midst of those 400 years, again, kingdoms are changing over. No longer is Babylon, no longer is Persia in control. But at about 63 BC, the Roman government takes control, right? And so that's that's where Jesus is born into, a culture where Rome is in control. And so finally, for God, it is the right time to send his promised Savior, to fulfill that promise that he gave to Adam and Eve. And we read about how that promise is going to be fulfilled as, as an angel comes and speaks to, to a young girl named Mary. Right? And he speaks and he says, Behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus And he will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And and of his kingdom there will be no end. And so we hear that, that God is coming into the world as a man. And we get this... This idea that, that, that God will, that this Jesus will be fully God and fully man. And we could spend hours, we could spend days having this conversation of, what, of how it could possibly be or what it means that Jesus is fully God or fully man. But, but that's not what we're focusing on today. So if you want to have that conversation, uh, if you want to read books, I got lots of books or, or we can talk about that later. But, but what's important for us to know is that, that, that we are born, you and I are born with this sinful nature. The sinful nature that was passed down from Adam and Eve to each and every generation that still will continue to be passed on from generation to generation after us. But Jesus was born differently. He was conceived by the Holy Spirit. He was born of the Virgin Mary, and and that sinful nature was not passed on to him. And so he was able, because of that and because he was also fully God, he was able to do things that we were unable to do. He was able to have perfect obedience to the law of God, perfect obedience to, to do what, what the Father had called him to do and never once sin. And because of that, he was able to be our perfect substitute, to take our place when we were unable to do what Jesus called us to do, what God called us to do. And so Jesus now comes onto, these, onto the scenes, he's born, uh, but we don't know a whole lot about his early life, right? We know that he was he was born in Bethlehem, and Micah 5.2 had prophesied that. Uh, we know that uh, as he's young, maybe a year or two old, he, he flees to Egypt because Herod had put out a bounty hearing that there was this new king that was born. And so, so Jesus, or Joseph and Mary in a dream were, were encouraged to, to flee to Egypt, and so he spends some of his young life in Egypt. And then after Herod it, it dies, it's safe to come back. And so, so Joseph and Mary and Jesus go to live in uh, Nazareth, where Jesus uh, grows up, where he learns the trade of his father, which, which is a builder, a you know, carpenter, but there weren't a ton of trees 
out in the desert, so he probably also worked mainly with, uh, as a mason with, with blocks and with, uh, and with um, stone and things like that. And so then finally we get to Jesus beginning his public ministry. He was about 30 years old uh, when he did that. And, and that's where we get to our scene today where Jesus is walking by the Jordan River. And he sees John the Baptist doing what John the Baptist does, which is to, to offer a baptism for, for the forgiveness of sins, right? John is, is preparing the way of the Lord as he was called to do that second Elijah who would prepare the way of the Lord, who would make paths straight. And one of the things that he did was to warn the people of their sin and, and of their need for a Savior and tell them that the, that Savior, that King, was now among them and the, the kingdom of God was at hand. And so Jesus comes to this John the Baptist to be baptized. But John tries to stop him and says, no, 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 no. The, the baptism that I offer is a baptism for the forgiveness of sins. Jesus, you don't need this baptism. And Jesus says, nope, this is, this is my Father's will. And so John the Baptist concedes and he baptizes Jesus. And as Jesus comes up out of the water, the dove, uh, the spirit in the form of the dove descends on him. And the, the words of the Father cry out, this is my Son in whom I am well pleased. This was all part of God's plan, but as we can see, as, as John notes right away, and as we can see, Jesus' baptism and our baptism, they're, they're different. They're not the same baptism. They're, they're similar in ways, but they're also very different in, in certain ways. Jesus' baptism is, is always connected to his suffering. Twice, Jesus connects baptism to the cross and to his suffering. Uh, one of the times that we see that, James and John, two brothers who were two of his disciples, they come to Jesus and ask, hey, can we sit at your right hand? Can we sit at the place of honor? And Jesus responds to them in Mark chapter 10 saying, you have no idea. You don't know what it is that you're asking. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink or be baptized with the baptism with which I am baptized? And you read that and you go, well, what, what do you mean? What, what cup are you talking about, Jesus? Well, a little later, uh, about four chapters later in Mark, and, and, and not too long later in, actu in the actual timeline, Jesus, on a Thursday night, is in the Garden of Gethsemane. And he's preparing to be betrayed, preparing to make his way to the cross. And as he's preparing for that, he, he, he goes up by himself in this garden to pray. And as he prays, he prays three times, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me. Yet not what I will, but what you will. This cup and this baptism, they're one and the same, and it's all leading to the suffering and death. Remove this suffering and death from me, yet not what I will, but you will. And so Jesus' baptism is always connected to his suffering and his death. Right? Even, even John, a few days, this is earlier in the timeline, we're jumping back a few years, but, but right after Jesus was baptized, maybe the next day or, or, or sometime after, John sees Jesus walking again along that same path along, the, uh, along the, the river Jordan, and John cries out, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And again, as the people hear that, they, they connect the Lamb with the suffering, right? the blood of the Lamb that, that takes away the sins. And so John, even very early in the ministry of Jesus, is already connecting his baptism to his suffering and death. 
The most beautiful thing that happens in Jesus' baptism as well as ours is this, this great exchange that takes place. Right, again, Jesus' baptism was different. When Jesus entered the waters of baptism, he entered spotless, clean. He didn't need to be baptized for the forgiveness of sins. He entered the waters spotless. When, when you and I enter the waters of baptism, we enter covered with sin. But in baptism, Jesus takes that sin on himself, and you and I, we come out pure, covered in the pure, clean robes of Christ's righteousness. And Jesus comes out of that water carrying your sins, carrying those sins to the cross, where he then carried those sins into the tomb. But he left those sins in the tomb as he rose again for the forgiveness of sins, defeating sin, death, and the devil. Right? He is our sacrificial lamb, our substitution who took our place on the cross as he took our sins into the tomb. And in doing so, as he rose from the dead, he purified baptismal waters forever. Right? There is nothing special about the water that we baptize with. Uh, right before a baptism, usually one of our ushers, if I don't do it, uh, they go into the sacristy, they fill it up with somewhat warm water so that it's not super shocking to whoever gets baptized. Uh, and they bring it back out. There's nothing special about that water, but what's special is Jesus has purified that water. It's that water that is connected with his word and his promise that makes that do what he has promised to do, to bring forgiveness of sins, that we go into that water dirty and covered with sin, and we come out pure and clean, covered in the robes of Christ's righteousness. Right? And so Jesus' baptism is always connected with his suffering and his death. And in the same way, our baptism is connected with Jesus' baptism and with his suffering and with his death and with the cross. Romans 6 says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were therefore buried with him by baptism into death. In order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, that we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Right, as, we, as we hear these words from St. Paul, we know that death is not the end. Right, this passage that I just read from Romans chapter 6 I read that same passage at almost every single funeral service that I lead here at Trinity. And it's how we start. We, we have our opening song, we have our invocation, and then we read together Psalm 6, verses 3 to 5. I read verse 3, and then the congregation joins me, and we all read together the, the verses 4 and 5. Because we are baptized into Jesus, because we are baptized into his death, we know that death is not the end. Because we also know that Jesus is risen from the grave, and because he is risen, so too will all those who have faith in him, right? For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we will certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Christ is risen. He is risen indeed. Hallelujah. Because he is risen, so too will all those who have faith in him be raised up to new life on that last day. And I just got to uh, this last Monday night, I, was, I had 
uh, a crammed night of meetings where I had no space in between. And as I was preparing for that meeting, uh, someone called and said, hey, my mom is on hospice and the nurses just said that we don't think she's going to make it through the night. I was like, oh, timing is always just perfect. But I was able to, to fit and to go in between some of those meetings and I was able to have this same conversation with that family, right? To remind them that your mom, your grandma knows Jesus and is, has faith in Jesus and is connected to Jesus through her baptism. And because Jesus is risen from the dead, so too will your mom, so too will your grandma on that last day be raised up to new life. And tomorrow, Vicar Rathke gets to preach that same assurance of the good news to, to Wanda's family, to remind them that because Jesus is risen, so too will Wanda be raised up on the last day. So too will Gary, her husband who passed away a few years ago, be raised up on the last day. Because he is risen, so too will all of those who have faith in Jesus, those who have gone before us in faith, and those who go after us in faith, and those who are here on this earth in faith when Jesus returns. In baptism, we exchange our sins for the robes of Christ's righteousness that covers all of our sins. And then we look forward to that final day when Jesus will return to raise up all those who have faith in him, those who have gone before us, those who go after us, and those who are still living here on this earth. What a great exchange that is to exchange our sins for the robes of Christ's righteousness. And we look forward to that last day when Jesus will return to raise all of his children up to new life. Amen? Amen. Amen.